welcome back to the Lion Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and uh, this is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts on all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's absolutely impeccable episode was with my friend, Mr. NQ, and this conversation gets into how we can get the freak out of the way of ourselves to allow our inner poet, our inner creative genius self uh, to come out and start to have more of a say in this whole life thing that we're going through. Um, Really good stuff. We get into his process and creating poetry and uh, just getting into his process in life in general. Really fascinating human being. brilliant i would say mr nq is uh, his reading some of his accolades off the back of his new book inquire within pretty interesting the right here inquire within if you change the present you change the past and the future that's the subtitle of the book that's awesome uh so the some some fancy things we can say about him he's national poetry slam a champion uh he is oprah's super soul hundred list of world's most influential thought leaders uh he is a what was this something fancy here multi-platinum songwriter that's pretty fantastic uh he's awesome he's really great his videos on the youtube or the internet in general is like over 100 million odd views um he's I'm just really so grateful that we get to uh, share his message here on the Align Podcast. So I appreciate his time and appreciate y'all's tuning in for this experience. It was one of my preferred conversations, absolutely. And uh, I wanted to thank you guys as well for getting involved in the Align Method online program. Uh, One of the things that you guys might find extra interesting in the first week of that, which is absolutely free, is uh, breathing practices. So we get into some fundamentals of how to breathe better and also get into some practices to help you stimulate your nervous system, also to downregulate or calm your nervous system, which that's probably what a lot of us could use right now, and also boost your immune system. So the first week of that is absolutely 1 billion percent free, and all of that can be found at the Instagram page, Align Podcast. The link for the free week is in the bio, uh, or you can go to alignpodcast.com slash method. Um, it is a, an addendum to the Align Method book. So if you guys dig the Align Method book, then the online program is for you. And regardless, um, it's going to help a lot of people, especially while we are just cooped up in our homes during this really interesting time in history. The quarantine times, life, there's gonna forever after this, there will be BC before Corona and after Corona AC. be really fascinating to see what the transition through all of this is. Be interested. If you guys reach out to me on the Instagram and Align Podcast, I'd be very curious what some of your takeaways are, some lessons you've gathered from this. Uh, One thing that I've learned is during Corona times, during quarantine times, I eat, uh, I would say much better, uh, and I make much more like stews and soups and stuff like that. And then so I have much more organic compost that is my my trash in quotations uh pre-corona times bc uh i was like i just had much more packaged bullshit and uh so that's a great thing it's been a good lesson to see my compost building up um it's almost like I feel like competitive with myself. I want to build up the compost pile in comparison to all the other stuff. So that's something I've taken away. I hope you guys are taking away some meaningful bits from this. There's other things as well, but the compost has been something that I've been enamored by. All right, here we go. Enough about my compost. Back to the podcast with the insightful and eloquent Mr. In Q. Yeah, what what are you doing with your time? This morning I woke up, beginning of the day for me. Today was a 15-minute meditation mm-hmm. uh, and then some like journaling stuff, which doesn't happen every day, but when I do, it feels like a huge victory. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you journal about today? Today was following a format of a buddy's, his name's Alex Icon, and does a thing called the five-minute journal. Okay. Yeah, so essentially he just asks you a few different questions. So it's like, uh, what would make today great and things like that, mm-hmm. like affirmations and things of that nature. So it kind of just gets me looking into uh what would feel good for the day as opposed to just like letting the day kind of collapse upon me what did you see for today uh a big thing was having a deep connection with you Mm -hmm. you know and having like a like a heart (laughs) we're off to a good start we're doing it (laughs) 
<laughs> so, yeah, so having like a really heartfelt connection with you mm-hmm. and um, allowing this space for something beautiful to come out of that and not forcing anything. Yeah. Um, and then getting some shit done in relation to I'm doing like an online program and I got to like mm-hmm. get some stuff. You know, so feeling like progress is happening uh, in various different ways, both internally and then also externally. Mm-hmm. That was kind of what I was looking for today. What beautiful. about you? What about you? What's your days look like? Um, I mean, I wake up and I meditate. That's like non-negotiable for me. How long has that been a thing? Uh, almost four years. Uh, and I literally haven't missed one. So Emily Fletcher taught me how to meditate. I don't know if you're familiar with yeah, her style or her work. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah. And um, she taught me around the same time that my father passed away, actually. And my father was never in my life, but I was very affected by him passing and surprisingly uh, affected by him passing. And so I needed something to anchor me and I decided to reach out to Emily and, and try that practice. And so once I took her course, I ended up saying to myself, I'm gonna do this for a month, non-negotiable. And I used that word very specifically. I said it was gonna be non-negotiable because I knew that if it was negotiable, I would negotiate. (laughs) So I did twice a day for that month and then I looked and said, is my life better? And it was, it was better in every area. So I said, all right, I'll try this non-negotiable for six months. And then I did it non-negotiably for six months. And now, as I said, it's been almost four years or, or just past. What does it look like in particular? What's the mechanics of your meditation look like? Well, you know, it's mantra based. So the mantra is, of course, the anchor that you continue to go back to over and over again. And, uh, you know, I basically describe it as like a gym for letting go, Mm. you know, so our whole entire lives are basically, you know, it's just a continuous process of letting go. And ultimately everything we've built, everyone that we know, everything that we love, our own bodies, our identities. I mean, we let go of all of it. And when you're meditating, you're basically practicing letting go of your thoughts and your emotions over and over again. So you can refocus on where you are and fully be present in the moment. And as you build that muscle, then when you're out in life and something happens that triggers you, instead of doing what you would normally do, which is like drag some unresolved past shit and project it into a present moment and respond in an over-exaggerated way, you can just let go of your thoughts, have the awareness to let go of your emotions and return to what's actually happening so that you can respond to reality. So with you, when you're creating a poem, it feels to me like my limited experience with creating poetry, which in large part has been inspired by you, so I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Um, the more that I can get out of the way of myself, the more all of a sudden, it almost like there's like, like Romans called genius was like your inner soul speaking. Like we all have this inner genius to start mm-hmm. with. And then we kind of have all these different layers that we pack on around it and insulate it. And then if you can move that stuff back all of a sudden this this genius has a voice that can speak but for the most part i feel like i'm like bombarded by all these thoughts and to-dos and this and that but if i can create enough space to actually get out of the way of myself then all of a sudden there's like this whole well of uh like a voice that can come through yeah you know is that is that something that you can teach people um no i mean it's very difficult to teach someone art Or at least you can't teach someone what their voice is. You can teach someone techniques. I mean, my mom's a a school teacher. I have a great respect for teachers in general and, you know, artistic teachers of every genre. Um, But basically, as an artistic teacher, you can teach people tools. You can provide platforms for them to explore those tools. You can teach them the artists that have come before them and... uh, you can give them that framework and that structure. But for someone to learn their voice, you can only learn your voice from experiencing your voice, Mm. which is just about doing it. Um, And so I don't particularly consider myself, you know, a teacher in quotation marks when I'm doing the poetry workshops. I more consider myself like a, a facilitator or like a space holder, which sounds corny, but I know what I mean by that. It's just really providing a foundation for people to explore stories that are important to them through a genre that they would never usually use as an outlet. And uh, mostly they're very surprised at what comes out and they have an experience of being celebrated for those stories that maybe 
they've never told anyone else in their entire life. And all of a sudden people are like cheering and clapping for them and celebrating their vulnerability as strength. And uh, it's kind of the process of alchemy. Yeah. Could you talk about the value in actually communicating your poem to someone else? So I found that to be a really important thing. Like you write your poem. Right. And then you're like, okay, cool. Now I'll like put it in my pocket and crumple it up and then maybe like throw it out or burn it at some point. Right. Uh, but <laughs> you ask for people to communicate during your workshops their their poem, their like private poem. And that feels like that's a really powerful thing for people. Is that something, why, why, why is that? Why do you ask people to do that? Well, I mean, when, when they get up in front of everybody, whether it's 25 people or it's 300 people, um, they're getting like a poetry rock star experience because no matter what it is that they're exploring, you know, the container is positive, constructive, loving, caring feedback. That's it. You know, I don't really allow for anything else. And by the way, when I'm asking other people to be vulnerable, I'm vulnerable from a place of strength first. Yep. You know, so I'm leading by example. It's actually irresponsible for someone to ask a group of people to be vulnerable without first stepping into it themselves. Hmm. So I always make sure that I do that. And then I think in that way, people are willing to trust me. And so the few people that are called on stage to perform, these are, you know, stories or, you know, subjects that they're scared to talk about to one person, let alone out loud to a group of people that they either kind of know or don't know at all. Um, and you can see that when they're getting up. And then you can see the release because they have a little bit of separation from their story, you know, when they get it out of their system and all of a sudden, you know, it doesn't control them as much. Mm. I think people feel a little bit more empowered when they separate their story from themselves and then they also get the mirror of the audience even if they have different circumstances feeling less alone and connected to their particular story um so i think that they walk away uh feeling empowered as i said and then you know when we have people do it individually one-on-one -on -one, and they tap a partner and they go and sit i always try to do that because even though people have had that mirror experience uh from the person that's on stage to the people that are in the audience there's still not a full completion you know until you share it with another human being and you're witnessed hmm. you know there's something about someone seeing you and like connecting to your hum humanity for a moment and through specifically an art form that uh that is really special and unique and memorable do you what do you think that is what do you think the special piece of someone seeing you I think we all want to be seen, you know, I mean, truly. And I think uh, we get in the, uh, our, our way, <laughs> yeah. you know, when we're growing up, often it's not safe to be vulnerable. You know, this whole idea that vulnerability is strength is, is a movement, you know, and, and I am a proponent of it in my thoughts and my words and in my actions and in my profession, but it wasn't always like that. You know, and it's still something that I have to work on, you know, every single moment in everyday life. Um, you know, when you're younger, you are in plenty of unsafe situations where, you know, being vulnerable is not of benefit to you. So we learn how to hide. We learn how to put on our armor and navigate the world. But then oftentimes we're bringing that armor into new experiences where you don't need it. Mm. And so you're actually weighted down by that. And you're not quite present to what's actually happening. And there's so much happening in this moment right now um, that I want to do my best to be here, you know, to feel the air, to breathe, you know, to feel the gravity holding me down in this chair, to look at all the shapes and the colors around me. Yep. You know, I mean, life is fucking amazing. So I don't want to be living in the past or the future. I want to try to be as much as I can right here now with you. Yeah. I've heard you mention that something along the lines of like you, there was too much information for you to process growing up uh, through, I'm kind of adding words right now, but through your body or through your heart or be able, be able to actually really um, just be able to process that information. So you ended up jamming it up into your brain or up into mm -hmm. your head. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then... Can you speak on that a little bit and like what that 
the differentiation is of like when we just slam something up into our intellectual mind as opposed to actually feeling all the way through it? Yeah, I mean, uh, my specific reasons for doing that, you know, I didn't meet my dad until I was 15. And I think that I never really quite felt like I belonged. And so I was always kind of like externalizing masculinity and asking questions about myself and my environment. And um, I don't think, you know, my mom did an amazing job raising me. She's my hero. But I didn't quite feel safe in the world. And I didn't really have uh, male mentors that I looked to. So I felt pretty isolated, at least in that way, in terms of my experience and how I analyzed uh, the world around me. And um, I think that that very naturally pushed me up into my head. And yet that's really a lot of what I use in my writing, you know, so I think your kryptonite is your superpower, yeah. you know, I wouldn't give it up for anything. I mean, I'm, I'm really grateful for everything I've gone through. Yeah. I feel like the, this is speaking through my head instead of my heart for a moment there, but there's like interesting scientific research stuff of having a disconnect between your visual cortex, your visual system. Mm -hmm. They call it the Brocus area. So like the communication part. The Brocus area. Brocus area. I've been there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. <laughs> and when there's that disconnect, you can have all of this information in the form of, of past feelings and sensations, but we won't be able to articulate it out. And that articulation out, being able to formulate words around it can almost be like a, like a purgative experience or making, uh, having understanding around that. Mm-hmm. You know, when something is traumatic, I think is when it, it exceeds our capacity to be able to process that in the moment. You know, so we shrink up and kind of just stuff it down and right. try to march on. And then it becomes other things, you know, it becomes disease or you, you take it out on somebody in traffic or something like that. It, it doesn't dissipate. It doesn't dissipate. You know, it's almost like trash. You know, it's like we, we put the trash outside and we think it goes somewhere. Yeah. It doesn't go anywhere. It's still here. All of your trash is still here. It's the same thing. You stuff your emotions down. You, you know, distract yourself from them. And uh, they don't go anywhere. They just actually are waiting <laughs> yeah. until they can come out at the most inopportune moment. <laughs> Do you have any uh, particular poems? Is that what you call them? Do you call them poems? Yeah, yeah. Is that the word? Is there, is there any particular poems that would relate to those experiences that we could, we could share or you could share? Um, or is there coming anything? to terms with uh, pain in your past? Yeah, uh, sure. I can share. Um, I can share the piece about my father, which is in the book. It's called uh, Father Time. That'd be great. Yeah, okay, if, you're, great. if you're open yeah. to, it, if you're feeling it, I have to sit up. For yeah, this sit, up. <laughs> sure. I'm sit up. Too. <laughs> I'm sit up too. I'm staring at the number, wondering if I should call. I can hear the tick tock from the clock on the wall as it meshes with the thump thump beat of my heart. Sometimes getting something started is the hardest part. I didn't meet my dad until I was 15. I'd seen his photograph, but his image was sickening. A coward with a dick, but no balls to back it up. See, when he left me as a kid, I had cause for acting up. The funny thing about hate is the person you hate doesn't feel that hate. You feel that hate, but wait. The weight can be too much for a person to take, and personally I was hurt, so I just locked it away. I was angry all the time, and I didn't know why. I couldn't handle my rage, so I would hide it inside. Pretending everything was fine became a daily pastime. Time passed, and I started to believe in my own lies. I took it out on my mom because she raised me alone. The rage I couldn't own had left me totally numb. It was like landmines in my mind that I didn't understand. So when the boy inside cried, the young man outside yelled. I think I learned about my masculinity from TV. The people weren't real, so I knew they couldn't leave. I'd sit there for hours right in front of the tube. The images that I saw were my depiction of truth. It was manhood in a box, and I bought into it. The censorship of anything inside of me that's sensitive. The sentence is a lifetime of tears suppressed in a stone face, an overblown ego they've distracted through a paper chase. Back when I was nine, 
I imagined in my mind that my father was a spy working for the FBI, and that's why he couldn't stop by right or drop a line. He was off saving our lives from the bad guys, but that was just a lie that I used to get by so that you wouldn't see the tears welling up in my eyes when you're rejected by the person that you're created by. You secretly feel like you don't have a right to your life. I thought if I confronted him, then it would make it all right. But since I couldn't forgive him, it just recycled my spite. I remember meeting him for the first time. Every time a person passed by, I would ask, Mom, is that him? I look a little like him, right? No? Oh. What about that guy? And that was what it was like to meet the man that gave me my life. To shake his hand and look into his eyes. We talked till he apologized, then said our goodbyes. I walked away on my own and I began to cry. Now for years after that, I acted like it was all resolved I told him what I thought, so I figured problem solved, but it just re-evolved. My insecurities were eating at my mental health. I took it out on the world because I hated myself. That's when I finally decided I needed some help. I opened up, started writing and sharing about my past. I got honest with myself and I started chipping at my mask. I looked into the mirror and confronted what I saw, accepting the reflection by embracing every flaw, then directing the connection into breaking down the walls by reflecting the perfection of the God inside us all. I stopped focusing on everything that I had been hateful for and started focusing on everything I could be grateful for. And personally, there is a lot I can be thankful for. If pain is dragging you down, just cut the ankle cord. That's when the weight lifted and I really started living. That's when my hate shifted and I really started giving. It's when my fate twisted. It was like an ego exorcism. Your mind state can be the most powerful of prisons. My father never played catch with me or gave advice. But if nothing else, that man gave me my life. And that's enough for me. If that's all he could ever give. Because I'm appreciative for every day I get to live. And even though I don't need my dad to validate me, I thought that I should write this poem to thank him for creating me. Because every moment that we are alive is like a gift. And if that's not enough to forgive, then what is? I'm staring at the number wondering if I should call. I can hear the tick-tock from the clock on the wall as it meshes with the thump-thump beat of my heart. Sometimes getting something started is the hardest part. I pick the phone up. The dial tone begins to sing. I punch his number into it and it begins to ring, ring, ring. Hello, Mike. Hey, man. It's uh, Adam, your son. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for sharing that. How does that make you feel? I mean, at this point, you've recited that many times. Mm -hmm. Does it still invoke the same sensations as before, or does it start to become more like kind of not calloused, but a little bit more mm, rote, or does it still invoke the same sensations? Rote means what? Routine? Yeah. No, it's never routine for me. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not like. I mean, for me to do that poem and become emotional isn't actually of service to anyone who would listen to it because I have to hold that space, you know? Um, And I've done it so many times uh, that the words don't hold the same emotional 
sway over me, mm. which is actually a positive thing. Right. Um, but I will say that I grew into that poem. You know, I mean, all of my pieces are pretty much me purging or praying or both. You know, I'm, I'm reminding myself of, you know, the life that I want to live. And so uh, over time, as I evolved, the poem evolved and my relationship to the poem evolved. And uh, now I feel like I'm as close to, you know, any other time that I have ever been to being able to own cellularly the stuff that I'm talking about in the piece. I mean, I, I really do feel um, like I've resolved that part of my life. Yeah. You've spoken before about words almost being like alchemizing sensations and changing people at a cellular level. No, I heard you mention that on somewhere. Um, and again, I'm like paraphrasing what you actually said. But um, is that something through creating that poetry and writing that experience out, how has that shifted your relationship with your with your father in particular? I think sometimes we can like put on a mask and kind of just like move on and be mm -hmm. like, oh, everything's fine, everything's good. But I have a suspicion that there's always that connection there and it's a value to to find some degree of some semblance of of wholeness with your family now do you feel like does that make sense yeah i mean look no matter what it is that you go through in your life and by the way there's plenty of people who have gone through things that were uh, much much more difficult than than something that i went through yeah um, but i also don't believe in like comparing traumas in that way mm. whatever it is that you're experiencing in your life is necessary you know for you to become who you are right now there's no other way to look at it unless you want to look at it from the standpoint of uh victimizing yourself yep. and there's no matter what the circumstances were and even if you never understand it even if it never makes sense ultimately you have to go through the grieving period but when it's done you have a choice whether or not you're going to be a victim to the situation and live in either blame of yourself or blame of the other person or whether you're going to be empowered. And true forgiveness is about gratitude. Mm. You can't have forgiveness without gratitude. And I'm genuinely grateful for everything that I experienced in that part of my life. You know, so um, I'm, you know, I literally would not be here with you. I'd be someone else, somewhere else. But I wouldn't be who I am where I am. And I'm pretty happy. <laughs> Yeah. You know, so I wouldn't wish anything to be any different. I also think in general, you know, like it's very easy for people to misunderstand the law of attraction, you know, and that's something I did. I, I remember like watching The Secret when I was younger and I was like really high and I was like, oh, I get it. You know, I just have to be happy all the time. And so there's a lot of people out there. They misunderstand it and they just walk around like everything's good. Yeah. No, 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 dude. Everything's good. It's all good, bro. It's all good. And literally right behind that, you can see all of it. You can see their anger. You can see their sadness. You can see their rage, their jealousy. You know, and all of this is a part of the human experience. You know, you're never going to get rid of your ego. Your ego is your humanity, you know, but you can learn how to accept it, to integrate it, to alchemize it, um, and not to navigate it, you know, from that place. Uh, and I think when you do, it just gives you more and more freedom to decide how you want to live your life. Um, so that's something I try to remind myself of, you know, on a regular basis. Yeah. It feels like with you, it feels like you've peeled a lot of layers back on yourself. It feels like you're like, if you were a vessel, like a glass vase of sorts, like it would be, it feels pretty clear. A glass vase. A vase. <laughs> <laughs> like Great. the shit looks it seems like it's like you know there seems like there's truth coming through the glass okay you know and so i think with when you say like you can see it i think you can see it but i think a lot of people you know we're convincing each other like you know ram das talks about like i've you know i'll imagine that you are who you think you are if you imagine who i am or you pretend to believe who i am i think i am Not say imagine. it five times fast yeah yeah so if you pretend to believe it i'll pretend to believe it for you and we kind of play that game for oh, long right. enough until eventually there's like a combustion like okay like, right it's like dating stop. it's like you know when you meet someone for the first time and like you take three information points right and you just go oh 
you know, I like this and I like this and I like that. And maybe those things are real based on the, you know, short amount of time that you've spent with them. Yep. And then all of a sudden, because you want something, you fill everything else in mm-hmm. and you just make up all this shit and they do the same thing and you project all of this stuff onto them. And then later when they don't live up to your uncommunicated imaginary projection, you resent them for it. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, I don't want to be living in a projection with someone else. I want to be connecting to them always in a new moment. I mean, specifically for relationships, I've been with my girlfriend for two years and I feel like I'm just getting to know her. Hmm. You know, I have to like re-meet her every single time we see each other and I'm madly in love. So, uh, yeah, it's like I pretend and you pretend and we pretend together and then it, you know, the sandcastle gets hit by the wave. Yeah. So I wonder, have there been any layers with you that have been particularly sticky or gunked on the the Voss? I mean, a lot, man. I've lived a lot of lives in my life. And, you know, all of the work that I wrote throughout that time, I put in here. But, you know, for the first half of my creative uh, life, I would say, in terms of at least my poetry and my hip-hop, which was what I was writing when I was a kid, you know, it was a... Look, when you when you fall in love with something initially, you know, in terms of an art form, you fall in love with it purely. You know, you it there's nothing else in the way. And then the desire for validation or, you know, success, you know, any of those things, it, it gets co-opted. And uh sometimes that is still necessary to use as your fuel source to put in your hours because it takes a lot of energy and passion to put in, you know, your 10,000 hours or something. I'm probably at like 25,000 hours if I took, you know, poetry and hip hop and songwriting and just rhymes in general, you know? Yeah. Um, but at a certain point, uh, when you realize that it's been co-opted, you have to change where your fuel source comes from again. And so that was, that was, uh, that was certainly a transition for me as well. Yeah. I remember you, I <laughs> You used to be Gotham. How do you know that? I listened to your shit, man. Okay, wow. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder if you could put yourself into your mind. At that was like my first thing. I was probably <laughs> I was probably 14 years old or 13 years old, and I was like trying to be an MC, and you know, and I, and I think I was like, oh, maybe I'll be Gotham for like a month or something like that. And then my buddy, my buddy named me Inquiry. So yeah. that's where NQ came from. Is yeah. you know, people just started calling me uh, in Q and then they started calling me Q and I pretty much never heard my real name after that. Yeah. So where was the mind of Gotham compared to the mind of, of now? Is there anything that, I mean, it's a pretty cliche, cheesy question at this point, but if you could like, if we could bring Gotham into the room right now and put a headset on him, like what would the conversation look like? I don't think Gotham would even listen to anything I have to say. <laughs> right. I don't think he'd be interested <laughs> at all. You yeah. know? Um, he didn't really trust anybody, so, mm. you know, why would he trust me? But if I could get through to him, I would just be like, it's all going to be all right, man, even if it's not, mm. you know? And it's, it takes so much less energy to be yourself in the world than it takes to hide. It's exhausting to hide. It's exhausting to walk around like, you know, someone's going to jump out at any moment. Yep. You just have to trust that if they do, you'll be able to respond in whatever way you need to. But, um, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to navigate the world that way. Do you feel like you hide at all? Is are there any tendrils of hiding behind being in queue and being a poet and all that? If you lost that, I think that they're pretty aligned. Look, I think that I'm, you know, the the vehicle and the obstacle for my art. Um, I'm certainly the vehicle because it comes through my thoughts and my emotions and my voice. And I'm the obstacle because there are things that I still want, you know, like I want success. I want to live in abundance. It's almost like, you know, the dichotomy of like the spiritual world and the physical world. And both things are true, you know, and they're happening simultaneously in the physical world. We're sitting here. We're both on the couch and, you know, everything around us is solid and we're going through this crazy technology you know out you know who knows where this is gonna go you know and I can look at my two friends over here and the sun is shining and and then in the spiritual world it's like you know 
it's pretty much infinite in and infinite out. You know, it's, it, there's more space than anything solid in ourselves and the universe, you know. And so basically we're all just like vibrating energy. Uh, and if you change your frequency, you change what you're attracted to and what you're attracting. You know, this is just a sea of consciousness. And so both of those things are true, you know, and I can't have one without the other. Um, so it's the same thing for writing. When I'm on stage, I am the vehicle because it has to come through that moment. It has to come through me. It has to come through my mood. But I'm also the obstacle because if I want everyone to like me, I'm actually stopping the communication of the poem in its purest form. So, you know, it's just holding two truths in your head at the same time and then trying to continue to move yourself out of the way to connect to whoever is in front of you. you yeah. know? I wonder with you, is there any thoughts, feelings, sensations, experiences that in the moment you're like, I could do without this? Yeah, but, but to say that I could do without it is defeating the purpose of it. There's something there for me to learn. Yeah. It's not that, that's the whole thing is people will maybe from, some of my poems think that I've graduated to a certain level. First of all, fuck no, I haven't. And I have all of those types of emotions all the time. But congratulations, <laughs> we're alive. <laughs> you know, it's just when, when I take my anger seriously, when I take my sadness seriously, yep. you know, uh, that's when I get in trouble. Because then you, you go into the blame, you go into the victimization, you go into the perpetuation and you just create more of what you don't want. You're, you, you fighting against something is creating that energy to be attracted to it and to attract it into your life. But to not acknowledge it means to suppress it. And then where does it go? It doesn't go anywhere. So neither one of those things work. So you have to actually like accept it and allow it to move through you like rain. And then, you know, that's why meditation, Jim, for letting go, return to what's actually happening. Yeah, you know, you got any poems that relate to that? Letting, um, letting go, acceptance. I mean, all of my poems Everything are about letting yeah, go and I acceptance. Was, <laughs> I was thinking, could you could you do any of them? Yeah, <laughs> sure. Is there, <laughs> Is there anyone that you would want to hear? Or? Anything that feels oh, you real for you? I like. Uh, okay. Like I said, I haven't. There hasn't been a time that I haven't like gotten the goose pimples from the the ones that you do. So thanks. Man. I'm open. Yeah. Um. So because we were talking about breath work before this, I'll do this poem. There is nothing in life that you cannot breathe through except death. And since we're all alive, it means at least there's one breath left. So pull it deep into your chest, into your bones, into your breasts, into your blood, into your necks, into the mud, into the depth, until it hugs your souls and suffocates the space that you have left, until it tugs your heartstrings and leaves your molecules caressed just a few precious seconds right before eternal rest. Will you fight for your survival from this uninvited guest? Will you Rolodex your history to glamorize regrets or set your sights on new arrival and go sprinting up the steps me i'll revel in the wonder of the colors and the shapes the way the light resembles floating diamonds dancing on the lake i am nobody's mistake but my existence wasn't planned i had to sneak into the party they were out of wristbands now I'm sinking towards the exit like it's made of quicksand. See, I got used to spinning my wheels but hit the kickstand. I want to truly view the world around me while I still can. I want to worship every flower giving prayers over the land. I want to open up my eyes so wide that what I see expands. And the beauty beam so bright, it overwhelms woman and man. Fuck a portal to the light. I want to scream. I want to fight. I want to eat and fucking drink. I want to touch. I want to think. I want to feel and taste and see. I want to live. I want to be. And I'd give anything but life because I'm dying to be me. I spend half my life trying to be anything but me. Now my afterlife is spying on my new reality. 
and I'm vying for another breath before he sets me free. I'm defying death with everything because death's defying me. I will rant. I will rave. I will spit. I will rage. I'll go barefoot on the sun or swim a sea of razor blades. I will grow. I will age. I will slow. I will fade. I'll sleep on hot coals or juggle chainsaws and live grenades. And though I know I'll never give up, in the end I'll give way. Hey. I'm sure there's someone else with something more important to say. But until then, I'm living each and every fucking day. So when I take a breath, I do it like I swear I'm here to stay. I like that. Thanks. <laughs> the I feel like uh, trying to be anybody else except for yourself is something that I think with social media, for example, I feel like social media is like a scapegoat for a lot of things. Mm. It's like easy to come. It's like social media. There's probably something before social media, mm. but it is interesting how much of our visual energy goes out to looking at what other people are doing. Right. It almost is like there's not ample bandwidth to, to focus within, which leaves you feeling probably quite starved. Not you, but people, you know, me, you, anybody. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. You I know. mean, if I, if I, if I overdo it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So coming to that point of like, how does a person come to the point of being fucking sick of that and being actually coming into themselves? Yeah. You know, as opposed to continually pouring out, pouring out, pouring out, pouring out. Is that something that you just have to get sick and tired of that? Do you have to well, get angry? Do you have to meditate? Do you have to. I can't speak for anyone else. Yeah. But for me, I mean, uh, anything that's out of balance is unhealthy, mm. you know? And uh, social media is no different. I would even say that that's one of the reasons that we called the book Inquire Within. You know, I mean, if you look at it, obviously it's the branches of the tree and then it's mirrored by the roots. But if you turn it to the side, it's uh, the lungs. Without doubt. And uh, there are two halves to the book. So the first half is inhale and the second half is exhale. Uh. And inhale is, you know, the personal poem. So it's like almost like my poetic hero's journey, things about my father things about my family things about my life figuring out my identity and then exhale is the social and political stuff and so it's you know change yourself change the world and uh you know i i think to your point consumerism is constantly trying to take from us these days yep. it's trying to take our likes it's trying to take our money it's trying to take our attention it's trying to take our love it's trying to take our information you know and we're almost trained unconsciously to externalize our validation and externalize our answers. You know, so if I don't know something, what do I do? I basically like look it up on Google or, you know, I go to YouTube or something like that. Yep. And technology is an amazing gift. It's connected the whole entire planet. Um, but simultaneously, as you said, people are feeling more alone than they ever have. They feel disconnected from their communities. They feel disconnected from themselves and that one internal true voice. Um, so for anybody that's like listening to this right now, if you have something that's going on that you can't figure out, you know, of course you can ask a friend, you can consult a coach, you know, and those things are absolutely incredible. You can listen to a podcast, you know, um, but ultimately, I also suggest that you just find some time to be alone, to sit in nature. You know, people think that you need to be around other people to feel less lonely. No, you can be in nature. Nature can make you feel less lonely. And to sit there without your devices, without distraction, and allow the noise of the modern world to fall away, you know, so that you can be in that silence and eventually, you know, that one true voice that is yours will rise to the surface. And that voice is the voice you need to follow. You know, that voice is going to give you your passion and your purpose. And um, and so I had to do that within myself to create this book. I had to inquire within, you know, the people that are reading it have to inquire within the pages. And ultimately, I hope that it's a window 
for them to inquire within themselves mm. and to hear that one true voice that will give them wherever they're supposed to go next. Yeah. Do you have a feeling, do you do any kind of like vision board type stuff? Do you have a sense of where you'd like this in queue physical mental emotional experience to be in one year five years anything like that like the book and the plans and all that or is that do you stay away from the plans well i mean there's two answers to that question i mean one answer is i really believe in poetry in general like some of my best art experiences were as an audience member watching other poets on stage Mm. um and this genre i feel like has not broken into popular culture the way that it could Mm. i think uh Poetry is the type of thing that does make people feel less alone, as I mentioned earlier, and it inspires empathy. And I think empathy is what the world needs most right now. So I want to see poets on the cover of Rolling Stone and opening up for Saturday Night Live and having their own specials on HBO. And um, and I not only believe that that is possible as an artist, I believe that's possible as a fan, you know. And so I'm kind of grateful and humbled to uh, be a part of that wave. But there's so many other people out there that I really believe in. And I think if you want to break a genre, you have to make a star. And if you make a star, it's an anomaly. But if you break other people, it can become a movement. And that movement will have momentum on its own. So I want like eight-year-old kids to be like, I want to be a poet when I grow up, you know. Yeah. And uh, and so I'm very inspired by that. The The part of the question that I would answer that comes specifically from me is uh, I've spent a lot of time manifesting the things that I want to see for myself. And oftentimes I manifest through my poems. Mm. I mean, most of the love poems I ever wrote, I wrote before I met my girlfriend, you know? And now I feel like I brought that finally into my life the way that I always kind of dreamed it to be. Um, And finally having a home for my art is amazing. I'm like extremely proud of this book. You know, we have 60 illustrations that allow people to have like a deeper opportunity. It's almost like a Shel Silverstein experience reading through it. And it has a conceptual through line, a beginning, middle and end. And then the audio book is fucking incredible, man. Like we looked at it like I was recording a double album. So I took, you know, a painstaking amount of time to make sure that we were doing justice to the poems. So this is kind of like a physical representation of my dreams coming true and the last thing i'll say is while i was manifesting all of those years i would take like you know for example yes i did vision boards every year for like seven years straight and i didn't do one this year and for many of the years of my meditations probably the first three at the end of the two minute period you know because you do 22 minutes and 22 minutes 20 minutes is the meditation with the mantra and then the two minutes is a cool down period And I would always use that cool down period to manifest what I wanted. I was like, this is what I want. And I saw everything that I wanted, you know, the Grammy and the, you know, and, uh, and then at a certain point I realized it was almost like I was planting a seed every single day, twice a day. And then I was like digging up (laughs) the seed. Mm. I never like allowed it to take root. And at a certain point, I just went, you know, I've manifested enough, man. I just want to live. And uh, and so that's what I've been doing. And I'm I'm happy, you know. So the thing I would say right now is we, we don't know what, what is going to come tomorrow. Somebody asked me uh, the other day, they were like, what would you do if you had a minute left to live? So I'm, I'll ask you that. What, what would you do if you had a minute left to live? Probably, I think, just breathe, meditate kind of look in inquire within that's dope that you said that man because every other person i've asked that to has said they would call their family which is probably that would be my first answer if i had a phone but let's but if you wipe the phone out right and you don't have a phone and you're in a pasture yeah man you just fucking look around dude the world is amazing yeah it becomes a miracle It is so amazing. You look at kids like you wave a pair of keys in front of a kid. You know, they're like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) Shapes and colors and sounds and the smells and, you know, the chills, what it feels like to have chills on your body. I mean, the world is a miracle. And we take it for granted 99.9% of the time as adults. Until it's it's 
there's a scarce until there's a scarcity. Of exactly. It. You know, and that that's what market economics like scarcity yep. makes consumers go. It's because they're shocked into going, oh shit. I wonder if that's inherent in human psychology or if that's something that we've been trained through market economics and capitalism and consumerism and all that. I, I think capitalism and consumerism follows our natural state. Yeah. I think it manipulates our natural state and heightens it. Yeah. You know, but uh, yeah, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, something that I've uh, kind of this ongoing thing, perhaps why this podcast exists, perhaps why I did a book, perhaps... Mm -hmm why a lot of things, um, I think, in part come from uh, the capitalistic model that's based off of ongoing growth. Mm -hmm. You know, So the first dollar that gets created is created with interest. Right. And then from there, the banks get a hold of it and property owners and all that stuff. And there's interest on top of interest on top it's of like interest. It's like Zeitgeist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You see that yeah, movie? bingo. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, 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 several times. It's, and so it's like you, that interest gets gets stacked on top of each other. And then, you know, that 1% or even less than that that have the wealth, they take all the power. They have the chokehold of essentially like the consciousness of other people mm -hmm. because the other people, they need to keep the engine running and running and running. And if it doesn't keep on growing, whether it's artificial inflation or whatever it may, just the, the belief, the lie that it's still growing. Right. Because if, it's, if it doesn't, at some point, it, you know, it won't. Uh, then the shoe drops. And then this story that we've created, you know, the cards fall over. And so there's this, this I think, from the, the first drop from the financial system, there's this ongoing sensation that I need to grow. Right. It's like, I always ask people, like, what are we growing towards? Like, where are you going? Well, the, there's, there's never an end to more. Yeah. So if more is your goal, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think, like, yeah, the markets, it's like capitalism the way that it is. It's unsustainable. I consider myself a capitalist, but like a conscious capitalist. I, I don't mm -hmm. think that we should be uh, putting up with uh, people who are creating profit from, like, suffering. Yeah. And we're just completely okay with that. Yeah. You know, as a society, like we just, we're okay with that. No, no issue. Yeah, you know, the suffering of people, the suffering of the planet, you know, oh yeah, it's par for the course. It's part of the system. And no, when you're a kid, you know, it's like everybody wants to change the system when they're a kid. They're like, I'm going to change the system. And then you get a little bit older and you are like, oh, oh wow. I'm a part of the system. Yep. You know, and then if you don't make any changes you literally become the system you know and then you're the thing that the kids are saying that they're gonna overcome mm -hmm. you know and it's this fucking weird cyclical thing so you know that's why now more than ever i mean you know it's important for people to use their voices to call themselves out to call out the system to see if we can uh make some real uh systemic changes because what we're doing, of course, is unsustainable. Yep. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. And I think, and, and I kind of misspoke in saying that the, the 1%, glorifying the 1% having a chokehold and everything else because they have all that momentum going to them, but they're essentially choking themselves because we're all connected. Right. You know, so if you're stealing from everyone else, you're stealing from yourself because that pain that gets, goes through the zeitgeist, that goes through culture, it doesn't just go out and then stop. It goes out and then right back in. Right. You know, so the sooner that people can get to a point of kind of like losing themselves in a sense. It's also just how is the profit being made? I mean, that that's like, you know, literally like I don't have a problem with people making massive amounts of money. I, yeah. I don't I don't want to like demonize millionaires or billionaires mm -hmm. or I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't want a billion dollars. That seems, you know, boring. I don't like why would I want a billion dollars? I, I haven't. No interest in ha being that wealthy. But if you had a billion dollars from where your mind's at now, it would be for the, the betterment of everything. Like the, the sooner you get a billion dollars, the sooner the world's a better place. That's an argument. And I think that that's a good <laughs> argument. You know, that, that a lot of people who are very wealthy, they make that argument. Someone like, you know, uh, Bill Gates and all the great things he's doing. Or you could look at Jeff Bezos and you could talk about Amazon this, Amazon that. But now he's actually gotten a whole fund together to uh, help save the Amazon rainforest. So there's a lot of people out there who are trying to put their money where their ideals are. 
Um, but in general, like that we're so okay with the profit coming from suffering or that the market, the only way that you can value something in the market is, does it go up? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how you go up. And I wish that there was a way to incorporate that into the system so that the value of a company was more 360 degrees yep. in terms of not only what they do, but how they do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That was, it was like, I don't know. It was maybe one of the Kennedys. They said that the the gross, dom- gross domestic product measures everything except for what actually matters to humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're measuring all of this accumulation right. and up, up, up. But like underneath that, it doesn't, we don't actually pay. We don't have a lens. You know, what gets measured, what gets measured gets managed. You know, so mm-hmm. I think from a, from like a political perspective, there's not really a lens even on like, how the fuck do we feel? Yeah. You know, so if you can change that lens and, and in relation to like manifestation and stuff, I think oftentimes we, we manifest a big pile of money, but we don't really manifest like, how do I feel? Right. You know? So. Yeah. And I, the, the micro mirrors the macro and, and vice versa. I mean, all we really have is, uh, how we impact the people around us, yep. you know, who we love and, how we impact the world at large as an individual and as a collective. Um, and so, you know, I, my uncle died the other day uh, and we didn't know about it for four months, I guess. My whole family didn't know mm. because he was estranged, you know, for various reasons that I won't go into on the podcast. But um, but it was crazy. I haven't seen him in like 30 years, you know, and my mom calls me up and she found out through her doing some research because, you know, he came into her mind and, uh, you know, none of his kids are in contact with him. None of his grandkids are in contact with him. And, uh, I just thought of him passing. First of all, I think that when someone passes, I truly believe all is forgiven, you know, and I, I just believe that in my heart, but I also felt a sadness for, you know, him leaving the world without having his family around him, without having a relationship, you know? And I really do think that that's the most important thing is who are you to the people that you love? You know, because that's the only thing you can take with you. You know, the energy doesn't get created or destroyed. It just transitions. It becomes something else. So if you create love in the world, that's still here. You know, but everything else that you make, everything else that you do, you know, I mean, you can't take it with you. Mm-mm. We got to wrap this thing up. Cool. Can we read another? I keep saying we. I guess it's all unicity. We're all connected. So yeah. <laughs> we should read one. Please, please read my poem for me. I would love it if you did my poetry for me. That would really make me so happy. I'm always trying to get Kevin, my manager, to, you know, sometimes Kevin gets on stage and he'll introduce me, you know. <laughs> and uh i'm always like i wish he would just stay up there <laughs> and just do the whole set you know it'd be awesome he could do it at this point I'm oh sure. i know yeah Kevin he's a great control- poet. i've heard his poetry i know he almost read at my book launch but something something happened i don't remember what it was we'll talk about it after right. uh, <laughs> what uh what should we end with you're the boss let's see why don't you turn to a page, right. a random page? I'll do that. We'll do that. I haven't done that yet. That's fun. All right. I'm going to get all Venice spiritual and like yeah, feel, out, feel out the page. Venice. Yeah, you got to do that. That's where I'm from, that area, South Santa Monica, Venice. Oh, cool. All right. My so whole so life. you'll understand my process. This is the one. Bam. Where is it? Page 76. Let's see what it is. Oh, shit. All right. I would never have done this one. Perfect. <laughs> Right before I die, I'm going to tell a joke so that everyone at my bedside can laugh before I croak. Most depart on somber notes, but life is serious enough, and we take our seriousness so serious. For what? Just because we're serious doesn't mean we're tough. It requires more courage to laugh when times get rough. Because laughter doubles as an outlet when energy is stuck. It can disrupt your pattern long enough to shift how you look. And when you shift how you look, you shift how you look. That way people see you differently 
and it changes shit up. The glass is either half empty or half filled up. I'm just grateful that I have a cup. So many brag about how they don't give a fuck because they have no fucks to give. Me, I give so many fucks that you would think I'd have none left. But my fucks are exponential. So I'll give until my death because I'll have infinite fucks until my very last breath. And that's when I'll tell my joke. And it will be so good that the waiting room will laugh like they never knew they could. And they'll have to tell their friends. And their friends will laugh too. And pretty soon the whole city will be laughing at the truth. And they'll laugh until they cry. And they'll cry until they scream. And they'll scream until they love. And they'll love until they dream. It was just a little joke. I didn't know what it could mean. It was just a little joke. Now the joke is on me. Because the laughter was contagious. So it spread across the land. My punchline was so outrageous, people couldn't even stand. They started rolling on the floors. They started giving up beliefs. They started begging me for more, but I was already deceased. It didn't matter, rich or poor. Forget the languages they speak, because the heart can understand. So it rippled through the streets, and they laughed beyond their fears, and they laughed beyond their grief, and they laughed beyond their wars. They laughed themselves right into peace. We are pieces in the puzzle, but we've never seen the box. We're addicted to the struggle it's a fucking paradox but i put that in my joke so the irony was obvious a deathbed roast my clarity was so hilarious that everybody choked then they laughed about the choking it was universal dope that humanity was smoking they were high on their emotions overwhelmed by their devotion They heard the laughter coming from the mountains and the oceans. They heard the laughter coming from the skies and trees. Even the universe was laughing as it fell to its knees. And right then, the laughter stopped. It was almost all at once. At first, it was a shock. The transition was abrupt. But eventually, they settled in, united in their work. They had a lot to do together as they built a better earth. I never saw it happen, but I was praying that it did. I held my wife and kids' hands as I closed my eyelids, and I dreamt about this world and the things we could create. If I could find the right joke before my soul evacuates. So I opened up my mouth, but I had nothing left to say. So my joke was in the silence as I slowly slipped away. (laughs) Damn. I don't think we could have gone out with a better one. I got my, my Venice... Shamanic spirit hand. <laughs> Not to take all the credit. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, was good. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was the right right one to do for sure. Um, well, I couldn't recommend. I mean, I think people get it, but I couldn't recommend more emphatically that people grab the hardcover because it's good for you and everything. But I mean, obviously, get the freaking audio book to have to be able to walk and have that. I think comedy poetry and all of those types of arts Mm -hmm. they are they're like trojan horses for something mm, almost the same meaning that you get from like a ram das or an alan watts or somebody like that that's very clearly philosophy Mm -hmm. but from this it it rides in on that trojan horse and i think you, you truly i mean i experience it as you read um it truly does change people myself um, at a cellular level and an emotional level and thank you man yeah that, that means a lot to me and i'm i'm doing it because you know we we teach what we need to learn so i'm i'm right there with you yep. you know and uh and i appreciate you having me on the show and i know you know i mean you've developed a relationship with your audience and your listeners trust you and so i appreciate you trusting me with this moment and um you know, for anybody listening, you know, even if we never meet, I love you and I wish you all the best. And uh, if you do get Inquire Within, you know, reach out to me on social media. You can get it at uh, ian-q.com, my website, or 
um, you know, Instagram, I'm adding Q life and let me know what you think about it. Is there any reason for other than just to be supportive, but to get it on presale? Is there any like, yeah, I mean, of course, if, if we get enough numbers, we'll get a hard look by the New York times for the cool. bestsellers list. And, yep. um, and we're, we're pretty close and, and, uh, so anybody's support, you know, would be super meaningful to me, but also I just, you know, do it if you're inspired, Yeah. you know, if, if, uh, if anything, you know, in the podcast touched you or moved you, then that's more than enough. And if you feel like getting a book or buying them for friends, that's amazing too, but, uh, it's all love. Oh, cool. Thank you so much. Thank you, bro. I appreciate it. Over and out. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I think NQ absolutely is one of the greatest minds of our time and uh, appreciate you guys supporting his book, Inquire Within, and uh, appreciate you supporting this podcast and sharing any kind of tidbits that were meaningful to you. If you could share them on the internet, Instagram, Facebook, whatever your thing is, uh, you could tag NQ at NQ Life, I N Q Life, and tag me at Align Podcast, A L I G N Podcast, and uh, appreciate you guys. And thanks for starting the free first week of the Align Method program, where we break down my best tricks for making a impactful morning routine and a whole lot more. So I know you guys are going to love that. It is at alignpodcast.com slash method or in the bio of my Align Podcast Instagram. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'll see you this coming Thursday with a solo episode. Bye.